Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful to have you guys with me today. Appreciate the chance to talk to you. Today I want to talk about the pre-mortal earth life, and I want to talk about the teachings of our church throughout its history on on one's valiancy in the pre-mortal life. Today I am borrowing heavily, heavily from uh, a blog, Thoughts on Things and Stuff, and Thinker of Thoughts as the blog writer of that blog. Uh, that's Jonathan Streeter and grateful for the chance to, to work with him. I, I messaged him yesterday and said, do you mind? Like you're putting out some of these blog posts. Like we just did one on the one weird trick to fix your faith crisis. And I'm sitting here reading some of his other work and I'm just really appreciating, um, the way in which he kind of tackles some of these issues. And so if you're, if you're interested to check out his blog, uh, thinker of thoughts or uh, thoughts on things and stuff. His blog name is Thinker of Thoughts. But today I want to talk about valiancy and I want to, I'm going to borrow very heavily from his article. Uh, maybe, maybe 80 to 90% of what he says are, are things I'm putting in here. Quotes that he's gathered together are quotes that I'm using. And I, I just want to like talk for a moment before I get into it about like, like what we as Mormonism right now, like what's on the plate and do we really see like all the plates on the table and all the, all the wheels that are turning and all the gears that are going like, like I could use a thousand analogies. And I think each of us, whether, whether you're the apologist listening, whether you're the critic who's listening or whether you're someone who's just trying to hang on with this messiness and we've got so many issues on our plate and if we just take a step back and just look look under the horizon and try to gather in as much of the scenery as possible and and then taking that kind of perspective to begin to just tackle how much stuff out there our leaders have taught one thing and have and have taught it as if it was line in the sand doctrinal theology and they've labeled it doctrine and the members of the church in those times were right on board, right? They, these folks knew by the Holy ghost that these teachings were true, that we were led by a prophet and that these doctrinal perspectives that these leaders were sharing is what made us a peculiar people. And so while Mormonism is shifting right now, right here in 2017, we need to recognize like Mormonism has always been shifting. And, and if Mormonism has always been shifting on these really, what seemed like at the time important things, right? Polygamy, race and priesthood, Adam, God, blood atonement, 
And even little things like birth control and cremation and oral sex and you name it, right? And and when you step back and you kind of look at it from the Charlie Harrell approach with his book, This Is My Doctrine, like you begin to realize like there's almost nothing in this church that's been consistent, that's been constant, that's been firm. In fact, you could even go back into the early time of the church and look at the subjects they talked about in general conference. Like the first 60, 70 years, like Jesus wasn't even in the top 10. So even Jesus being foundational to our conversation has been fluid. And and when you look at our doctrine and just how much it has changed and 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 warped and expanded and contracted and closed off to that idea and opened up to this idea, like we be we have to begin to have an honest conversation about just how wrong prophets can be. And 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 if prophets can be really wrong on pretty much everything. Right. And, and again, I don't, I don't want like, I don't want anybody to come along and say, Bill says prophets are always wrong. I'm not. What I'm saying is that human nature is to hold ideas and to hold ground. And human nature is that when we're vulnerable to it or when we die and someone else comes in with a different belief or perspective, things change. And, and Mormonism hasn't held any one Belief outside of maybe like Jesus was crucified and Jesus rose on the third day and all of us will rise. Besides that, like there's no other idea in Mormonism that has been absolutely consistent. Not even things like the sacrament, right? Because in the early church, DNC 20 says that the congregation shall kneel and, and the way in which the sacrament was administered was different. And the priesthood who administered that sacrament and who held what offices, that was different. And and so nothing, nothing in Mormonism has been consistent. And so if we just step back and say, like, everything is fluid and changes, and, and Brigham Young and the saints of the 1800s would look at the Mormonism today, and they would not be happy with it. And the Mormons today in 2017, if we could, if we could hop in the Valorian, turn on the flux capacitor and go back in time, we would not like that Mormonism. If, it, and, and we want to, I want to believe like it's pretty much the same thing. Like, yeah, they did a few things different, but it's pretty much the same thing and we would fit right in. That's not true. And so the moment we recognize that prophets can be confident that they have ascertained the mind and will of God and they teach things to which they fully stand behind and put forth as this is the way it is, and in many of these situations, calling them doctrine. And to take it a step further, the membership of the church at that time generally stands behind that prophet and says, we agree with him. We also believe that what he is saying is true. Only to have the church years later look back and say that prophet had it wrong. And we know by the Holy Ghost that that was wrong, that those are false disavowed theories, that we never should have gone that far with blood atonement, that Brigham Young taught false doctrine on the nature of God. 
Once we acknowledge, like today's leaders have disavowed the teachings of past leaders, and the membership today knows that the current leaders are right, that the membership today generally knows that the church leaders today are right by the power of the Holy Ghost, then everything gets called into question. And nobody wants to hear that. Like maybe, maybe that gets me in trouble. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that the moment you recognize that prophets and even all 15 men can mislabel their false, racist, bigoted ideas as God's mind and will and doctrine, and that the membership of the church stands behind them and supports them and believes in those things, then we recognize just how difficult it is for the Holy Ghost to penetrate into any one of us and to help us find the truth. In other words, when I pray about a job and which job I should take, and I feel the Holy Ghost tell me what job I should go after, how do I have any confidence in that when Brigham Young completely misunderstood the nature of God and thought his perspective came from God and the membership of the church and the other leaders around him sustained him in those false teachings that Bruce R. McConkie and Spencer W. Kimball in the church today disavow. You see how messy this gets? And until we can have like a vulnerable conversation about just how messy that gets, then there's no safe space for anything to get better. Oh, it'll nudge along. It'll nudge along. It'll be better in 500 years. But it needs to get better now. And it needs to get better within the next decade or two or three. There's too much at stake. And so Patrick Mason is right. And all the other progressive scholars and historians who are talking right now, they're right. We have to redefine what it means to be a prophet, seer, and revelator. We are going to have to lower the bar, lower the expectation of what it means to be a prophet, seer, and revelator. Because anybody who's diving into the history and taking a step back and looking with that expansive view realizes that this is way messier than the manual's telling us in the three-hour block. So now, on to the pre-mortal life. And I want you to keep what I just set up, I want you to keep that in your mind. Race versus disability, right? We all know that there used to be this perspective that those of color were less valiant. They had a curse. They couldn't hold priesthood. They couldn't go to the temple. They were less than in some way. And it wasn't our fault that they were less than. This was God telling us that they were less than. But Mormonism didn't stop there. Mormonism in its early days and up till relatively recently equated that any negative station in life was impacted by one's lack of valiancy in the pre-mortal life. Now, I know that rubs counter to today, right? We look at today in Mormonism and we look at some kid in a wheelchair or some some adult with Down syndrome or somebody who's born without an arm and, and we say, wow, that person was so, so valiant in the pre-mortal life. So amazing. They They must have just been quite the valiant spirit as they, as they helped Heavenly Father put the plan of salvation into motion. That's the doctrine that we hold today. But it wasn't always so. So let's go back and let's start here. First, the pre-mortal life. Let's talk first about the doctrine on the pre-existence. Quote, we lived before we came here and our birth into this world was the reward of having kept our first estate. That's Prophet President George Albert Smith. 
Quote, we know beyond all doubt that we existed with God in the eternities and that we existed with him in the heavens as his sons and daughters. Apostle George Q. Morris. Quote, just as this life depends upon the previous life, so this life is most important for the future. For life hereafter depends upon our life here in mortality. Quote, unquote, uh, Theodore M. Burton, member of the 70. So with these three quotes, every one of us would look at Mormonism and go, yeah, absolutely. Like, like we passed our first estate and here we are in the second act of the play. And, and what happens in that, in that third station in the hereafter is based upon, upon our performance here and our obedience here and, and our valiancy here and, and our station in life here to some degree. The fact that we're just here means we passed our first estate and a third of God's spirit children didn't pass that estate, but we did and we're here. In this probationary state, this mortal life. Now we have to hit on the idea of the noble and great ones. Quote, Now the Lord had shown unto me Abraham the intelligences that were organized before the world was. And among all these, there were many of the noble and great ones. And God saw these souls, that they were good. And he stood in the midst of them and he said, These I will make my rulers. For he stood among those that were spirits. And he saw that they were good. And he said unto, and he said unto me, Abraham, thou art one of them. Thou wast chosen before thou wast born. So in our faith, we have this idea that our church leaders were chosen in the pre-mortal life to lead this church because, not because of DNC one, that they were the weakest and, and God would use the weak to make his purposes come to pass. Rather, we have this teaching in our faith that runs counter to that which is that these were the greatest spirits among God's children. Joseph Fielding Smith said, quote, During the ages in which we dwelt in the pre-mortal state, we not only developed our various characteristics and showed our worthiness and ability or the lack of it, but we were also where such progress could be observed. It is reasonable to believe that there was a church organization there. The heavenly beings we're living in a perfectly arranged society. Every person knew his place. Priesthood, without any question, had been conferred, and the leaders were chosen to officiate. Ordinances pertaining to that preexistence were required, and the love of God prevailed. Under such conditions, it was natural for our Father to discern and choose those who were most worthy and evaluate the talents of each individual. He knew not only what each of us could do, but what each of us would do when put to the test and when responsibility was given us. Then, when the time came for our habitation on mortal earth, all things were prepared and the servants of the Lord chosen and ordained to their respective missions. Joseph Fielding Smith, in his book, The Way to Perfection. Here's Apostle Neil A. Maxwell. Quote, it is not enough, therefore, to define the living prophets as merely the current prophet who's alive today, though that is correct enough. The living prophets were all close enough to God before they came here to be chosen by him then, and they will be close to him in the eternities. Elder Neil A. Maxwell in things as they really are. So notice this cultural idea in our milieu. 
the milieu of our faith, of our community, that deference is given to these men as the, as the most righteous spirits to God, as those who were the most valiant in the pre-mortal life, that they were, that they were chosen before the world was created to hold these offices, that these men, even in the pre-mortal life, were close to God and more connected to Him. But you also must recognize that Mormon taught, Mormonism taught that the opposite was true as well. In other words, if some spirits were more valiant, then logic and rationale and reason compel us to see that other spirits were less valiant. Here's Joseph Fielding Smith again, quote, Is it not a reasonable belief that the Lord would select the choice spirits to come through the better grades of nations? Moreover, is it not reasonable to believe that less worthy spirits would come through less favored lineage? Does this not account in very large part for the various grades of color and degree of intelligence we find in the earth? That seems so repulsive to me. But but it explains a lot, right? When you see church leadership at the top hesitant to call anybody into that top tier of leadership who's not white, who doesn't speak English, who who isn't from Utah, Arizona, and Idaho, like you begin to see like in our culture is this idea that people born in other countries, people who have different color skin, People who talk different, walk different, look different, like they might have been less valiant and probably were in the pre-mortal life. And I'm not saying that's the position the church holds today. What I'm saying is that is the position the church held in the past. And, and that past perspective still influences how we do things in the very here and now. Here's Elder Ballard. This is Melvin J. Ballard. Former apostle, quote, now my brothers and sisters, I would like you to understand that long before we were born into this earth, we were tested and tried in our pre-existence. And the fact that of the thousands of children born today, a certain proportion of them went to the Hottentots of South Africa. Thousands went to the Chinese mothers. Thousands went to the Negro mothers. Thousands to beautiful white Latter-day Saint mothers. You cannot tell me that the entire group was just designated marked to go where they did, that they were men and women of equal opportunities. There are no infant spirits born. They had a being ages before they came into this life. They appear in infant bodies, but they were tested, proven souls. Therefore, I say to you that long before we came into this life, all groups and races of men existed as they exist today. Like attracts like. That's Apostle Melvin J. Ballard. Again, that quote is offensive and repulsive. It is, it is racist, it is bigoted, and it is shameful. Here's Elder Bruce R. McConkie. Quote, to understand this discussion between Jesus and his Jewish detractors, it must be remembered that men are born into various families, nations, and races as a direct result of their pre-existent life. Many choice spirits from 
pre-existence are sent into selected families. This enables them to undergo their mortal probations under circumstances where the gospel and its blessings will be more readily available to them. Again, Elder McConkie, offensive, shameful. This is a very tribalistic mentality. Us, white, Utah, Mormons, we are God's chosen people. We're better than, we're beautiful as compared to the rest of the world. The fact in that previous quote that Melvin J. Ballard says beautiful white Latter-day Saint mothers, like that is so hurtful, harmful, traumatizing, sad, and offensive. In 2008, James J. Hamela, in the Enzyme Conference Edition, said this, quote, Reserved to come forth in these last days. Now, again, this is 2008. Reserved to come forth in these last days in labor for our father and his son are some of the most valiant and noble of father's sons and daughters. Their valiance and nobility were demonstrated in the pre-earth struggle with Satan. There, quote, being left to choose good or evil, unquote, they chose good and exhibited quote, exceedingly great faith and, quote, good works. You are these valiant and noble sons of our Father. You are the strength of the Lord's house, his warriors. You are those who chose good over evil and who exhibited exceedingly great faith and good works. And because of your personal history, you were entrusted to come to the earth in these last days to do again what you did before to once again choose good over evil, exercise exceedingly great faith, and perform good works, and to do so in behalf of the kingdom of God on earth and your fellow men. And we see here, right? We see this shift in Mormonism that we talked about in the very beginning, that we went from designating the white Utah Mormons as better than the rest of the world, and maybe the white Americans, non-Mormons, as a next tier down, but certainly way better than the hot and tots of South Africa. It's offensive. And so we, so the church knowing that that was offensive has made this shift to saying everybody born in these last days, they're the noble spirit saved for the end days to help carry out God's plan. But how can I have any more trust in that idea than I could in the idea taught years ago that I think is offensive and shameful, but the entire church rallied around. Do you see how tough it is to figure out truth from error? They couldn't do it. So how do I know that I'm doing it successfully right now? Those church prophets couldn't do it. So how can today's church prophets assure me that they've got it down pat? They've worked out the kinks. Those guys in the past, they were just speaking as men at times, I know, I know they, they kind of impose those teachings as true. I know they even called them doctrine at times, but look, we've worked out all the kinks. We've got this thing figured out. We are running a really tight machine now. The reality is, if we just use our common sense, is this is really messy and we don't have good answers yet for this conversation. In this way, it makes sense that poor people in third world countries are born into such hardship. It is their reward for being less faithful and valiant in the premortal existence, but yet still passing their first estate. Mormons may still feel compassion for them, but it is tempered by a knowledge that their plight is ordained of God and, and a just reward. As a corollary, 
This also explains why so many leaders in the church came from just a few wealthy and select families. Since they were born great spirits who merited, who merited a blessed position in this life due to their greatness before, they would need to be born to families close to the seat of power in God's church in this life. But what about other disadvantages? Finally, we come to the most disturbing extent of this line of doctrine. Not only is race, nationality, and epoch determined by the premortal righteousness, but other disadvantages having to do with one's physical body. The general authorities are much more circumspect in laying this particular doctrine out, presumably because of the delicate nature of the people involved. The first quote sets the tone by recalling Christ's encounter with the man who was blind from birth and tying it to our premortal performance. And here's the first quote to set this up. This is Harold B. Lee in Decisions for Successful Living. Quote, There is no truth more plain... Now hear that. There is no truth more plainly taught in the gospel than that our condition in the next world will depend upon the kind of lives we live here. Is it not just as reasonable to suppose that the conditions in which we now live have been determined by the kind of lives we lived in the pre-existent world of spirits. That the apostles understood this principle is indicated in their question to the master, when the man who was blind from his birth was healed of his blindness. Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now perhaps you will have a partial answer to some of your questions as to why if God is a just father, that some of his children are born of an enlightened race and in a time when the gospel is upon the earth, while others are born of a heathen parentage in a benighted, backward country, and still others are born to parents who have the mark of a black skin with which the seed of Cain were cursed and whose descendants were to be denied the rights of the priesthood of God." Again, repulsive, offensive. And yet, I think deep down, Mormonism still wants to hold on to this to some extent, right? To some degree, Mormonism wants to say the only explanation for why some people, why some spirits of God are born into some starving family on the edges of Ethiopia and some other spirit children of God are born in the middle of Salt Lake City to good members of the church. The only explanation we have, because there is a God, and God is a just and fair God, the only explanation we have is to say that that they must have done something differently in the pre-earth life. Now we could argue, we could argue that some were more valiant, maybe that's why they got a harder, a harder uh, lot in life in this life. And maybe, maybe some of these white kids in Utah and born to good families, maybe they were less valiant. We could make that argument. But I think Mormonism still wants to hold the general idea that one's valiancy in the pre-mortal life impacts where and under what station and complications and challenges one has in this life. But you see how easy it is then to decide like, oh, Somehow I'm better because I'm in the church and I'm helping carry out God's plan within God's true and living church. And 
then there's those other people outside there. And some of them are born in really hard situations. And so they must have done something wrong in the pre-earth life. And, and, and hence, I must have done something right. Thank goodness I'm so incredibly awesome. This, this still exists in our milieu. And what Harold B. Lee said there is offensive, repulsive. It is racist and bigoted. Now, even though the apostles asserted that it could have been the blind man who sinned prior to his birth, thereby earning his blindness, Christ ultimately rejected that by explaining that, quote, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So Harold B. Lee could be given the benefit of the doubt that he was not including physical ailments as part of the punishment for premortal sin. That is, until you read the very next line where he explicitly states it. Harold B. Lee goes on to say, quote, The privilege of obtaining a mortal body on this earth is seemingly so priceless that those in the spirit world, even though unfaithful or not valiant, were undoubtedly permitted to take mortal bodies, although under pen- penalty of racial or physical or nationalistic limitations. Again, a man who served as prophet and president of the church, Harold B. Lee. Understanding that the prophets of the church have explicitly stated that physical disability is a punishment in this life for unfaithful or sinful actions in the pre-mortal life, then other quotes that only make vague references to this fact can be seen for what they are. For example, disabilities are among the, quote, other disadvantages, unquote, referred to by the prophet Joseph F. Smith. Here's Joseph Fielding Smith in Doctrines of Salvation. And here, I don't know, I don't know if Jonathan Streeter is referring to Joseph F. Smith or Joseph Fielding. And you also have to keep in mind that at times, Bruce R. McConkie would write what his father-in-law had said. And at times, Joseph Fielding Smith is writing what his father had told him. But here's the quote, nonetheless. Either way, both of these men served as presidents and prophets of the church. Quote, There is a reason why one man is born black and with other disadvantages, while another is born white with great advantages. The reason is that we once had an estate before we came here and were obedient, more or less, to the laws that were given us there. Those who were faithful in all things there received greater blessings here, and those who were not faithful received less. Unquote. Now, these disabilities are among the physical handicaps that a less valiant spirit earns as a result of pre-mortal conduct, as described in this 1951 First Presidency Statement. This is an official statement of the First Presidency to BYU President Ernest L. Wilkinson. This is dated August 17, 1951. It's also quoted in Hiram L. Andrus's book, Doctrinal Commentary on the Pearl of Great Price, 1967. Here it is, quote, The position of the church regarding the Negro may be understood when another doctrine of the church is kept in mind, namely that the conduct of spirits in the pre-mortal existence has some determining effect upon the conditions and circumstances under which these spirits take on mortality. That while the details of the principle have not been made known, the principle itself indicates that the coming to this earth is 
and taking on mortality is a privilege that is giving to those who maintain their first estate and that the worth of the principle is also is so great. Sorry. The worth of the principle is so great that spirits are willing to come to earth and take on bodies no matter what the handicap may be as to the kind of bodies they are to secure, unquote. Listen to that, that anybody with some lesser lot in life, according to the perception of Mormonism, color of skin, country you're born in, ethnicity, physical handicaps, lower intelligence, whatever, that these spirits were less valiant and they were just grateful to have a body. When parents of children with disabilities turn to the words of Mormon prophets and apostles to find answers to the question of, quote, why must my child experience such hardship and difficulty in this life, unquote, the answer they would find until as recently as 1973 is that just like those born black or of other races or in other countries that were more disadvantaged, their child was less valiant less faithful, and as a result, must suffer these challenges as a penalty. Let that sink in. Let that sink in that we taught that. Let that sink in that that was the cultural belief in in our milieu of Mormonism. Let that sink in that prophets, seers, and revelators saw no issue with writing that down or saying it from the pulpit. Let that sink in that those leaders taught it and believed it and the members around them supported and believed them. Let it sink in that everyone in that day of the church thought those things came from God. I have to say, like, I'm grateful we've moved away from that. I'm grateful that the church, to some extent, and it's not, it's not as great as I wished it was, but to some extent, like Elder Uchtdorf said, the church recognizes the restoration is is a process that we're not there yet. But might we recognize, like as grateful as I am that the church is moved away from those things, can the church be vulnerable enough to look back and say, wow, we really got that wrong. How did we mess up that bad? How did we think we knew God's will only to be that horribly off track? In the moment we let that thought sink in to us as a people, then we can get up one morning and look in the mirror and say, uh-oh, maybe we're doing some of this same kind of stuff today. In conclusion, we have to begin wrestling with just how wrong prophets can be and have been. We have to start wrestling with just how much of our doctrine has changed We have to start wrestling with how much our narrative is changing right now. And we have to begin having vulnerable conversations about how these past leaders knew their false beliefs were true. How members knew these leaders were teaching truth when they were not. And what that means for us today. It's my prayer that we can begin to be vulnerable. That we can take down our walls and our fortifications that we've built around our comfortable beliefs and around our certitude, we can just take those down, that we can fill our moats in with dirt, and we can begin to let those people that we say, there's them and here's us, and we can let them come over, and we can just begin to recognize as a whole that this 
is just human beings. And this is the way we human beings have acted and treated each other and responded to criticisms and concerns and valid questions. And we can begin to say like, look, there is no us and them. There's human nature. And let's be open to letting go of our certitude. And let's be open to letting go of our comfortable beliefs if they're not true. And let's become more of what God would want us to be. I bear testimony that in the scriptures it says all are alike unto God. I think every person who's taken a mortal body in this life is a loved son and daughter of a loving heavenly father. I don't believe that God would want any of us to look at any other of his children and look at them deciding in our mind whether they were less valiant or more valiant. I don't think our heavenly father has always picked the most righteous of his spirit children to be leaders in our church. DNC one speaks to a different way of framing that. I don't think prophets of God in the premortal life are necessarily across the board any better or worse than the rest of us. And I think we have to begin having an honest conversation about the various prophets through the ages and how maybe there is even differences in the ability and what those prophets were called to do if we separate them out. It's my prayer we can begin to be vulnerable and take those walls down. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, may the Lord warm your shoulders. Amen. Let's go.